You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Welcome to episode 154 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, Ruben Leader. He's the author of You Might Feel a Little Prick and screenwriter and TV writer for shows like Magnum P.I. and Nash Bridges. Hey, join me on September 8th for my free creative writing workshop with the Los Angeles Public Library. Go to LAPL.org and click on events for September 8th to register for the free creative writing workshop. And now, a San Francisco Giants fan and a Los Angeles Dodgers fan find commonality through conversation, mutual respect, and we set down our orange and blue collars for a moment to come together as comrades for the greater good of the human collective. Hi, I'm Ruben Leader, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Ruben Leader. He's the author of You Might Feel a Little Prick. Ruben, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, you know, that that is a penis reference, right? For the for the title. Uh, no, um, I, no, no, wait, does that mean? I never that, thought. Of, I never. I never thought of that. Uh, no, actually, it's what they. It's what everybody in a white coat and a needle says to you before they uh, before they stick it into you and cause you great pain. And they always say you might feel a little prick. And uh, and uh, yeah. You do feel a little prick. <laughs> well, I, I'm saying, I usually say, thank you. I have one. I know what it feels like. No, I don't, it's, <laughs> but um, congratulations on your debut novel. You've done so much thank writing you. and you have a, have a novel out. What was it that, um, what, what, what was it where you went, wait a second, I'm, I'm writing a novel now. Have you been writing for years, uh, tinkering with a novel and then came out or was this a, uh, no, never thought of it. Um, I was um, having a nice uh, run writing screenplays. And, and at the point I wrote this screenplay, I had a lot of personal stuff. Well, I, I had a good run uh, writing spec screenplays, selling them. And uh, some stories were sort of close to my heart. Some were, you know, overtly commercial. And what happened to many of them uh, is what happens to most writers and I've been on the other side of that where I've rewritten other writers. But um, what what happens is uh, uh, they love it and they and, and you get a nice check. And uh, and this is not a kind of a first world problem. But uh, then they they then a bunch of uh, executive young executives come in and give you their notes and they're. Life experience is essentially uh, getting a Harvard Ivy League MBA or in, and watching lots of TV shows and lots of movies and uh, not living life so much. And so their notes always sort of are reductive in the sense that they uh, were they they guide the rewrite into something familiar to them and familiar to uh, anybody who's ever watched a TV show or a movie. So you do those notes and the script over a period of months and sometimes a year gets uh, really homogenized. Then these guys get fired and, um, and they're not all guys. I mean, uh, I'm being, um, using the plural. These guys get fired, new ones come in 
and they give you a bunch of notes and uh, a new director sometimes might come in with his own vision or her own vision. And uh, after a year, the, you look at the thing and it bears no relation to what sparked the sale in the first place. And then at that point it's mush and everybody washes their hands of it and it goes into development hell. You've made a nice bunch of money and you've wasted a year of your life writing for an audience of 15 people. So um, I'd written this script, this uh, I've written, you might feel a little prick as a screenplay. And um, I had a prominent director uh, who wanted to film it. And this is a story that's incredibly personal to me. Um, it's based on a bunch of medical issues I went through and uh, a very profound uh, one, my late wife passed away. Uh, and so I wanted to write about it and I didn't want, if I wrote it as a memoir, for instance, uh, or it would just be an angry screed, there's humor and everything I do. So I, I made it really darkly funny. And, and so the director took the script to their agent. I got to be careful with pronouns here, or I'll get busted. And, <laughs> and uh, the agency's like, uh, you know, one of the, maybe the hugest on the planet. And uh, so they would package it with their own actors and, uh, and the director would direct. And, uh, and I thought, hey, I'm on my way to getting a really meaningful story done. It was sent to the... The agent gave it to the story department and they do something called coverage, which is like a book report. And the director got their hands on um, the, um, the coverage and it, it could have been better if I had snuck down there and wrote it myself. It ended with strongly recommend and bravara opening and on and on. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll know where to a movie. Uh, the, anyways, the agent calls me from their car um, that night or the night after and said, you know, my brother's uh, a doctor and they're not like that. And, and so what do you say to that? I, um, I said, well, I don't know, didn't know you had a brother. Right. Uh, I didn't know, I you know, certainly didn't know he was a doctor. And I didn't and, write it uh, for your brother. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I wasn't imagining your brother. I'm, <laughs> I mean, these scenes, uh, some of them are, the dialogue is verbatim to what I've been told or heard personally. Do they think, uh, you know, writers are sponges, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm in a gurney in, in pre-op and there's a couple of doctors washing their hands 10 feet away and uh, they're disparaging their patients. And, uh, and you think I'm going to not like notice that and right. uh, not, not use it? And so I said, yeah, there's a reality to this. And uh, I was really polite because you have to be polite to these guys. That has to be win. rough because that because what he said to you is almost insulting. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds like an insult. It's like, oh, no, I've only been working on this for a year. I've I know this because I was on a gurney. I was on a gurney and scared to death before a pre-op. And I heard all this stuff. And what am I going to do? I'm going to make something of it. And then this guy just goes, oh, yeah, my brother's a doctor. Yeah, and 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 he, they're they're not like that, right? Uh, you know, and actually, uh, just to tangentially, they're they're. 
I believe in the in the nobility of the profession. And and there's a character who she represents the best of medicine, and uh, she has to go through a whole lot, but comes out the other side even be a better doctor. And uh, and 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 so th there isn't. It's this is not just a trash doctors kind of movie. Uh, and anyway, he said, well, you got, so basically he was saying, it's a great script and all, but you got to soften it. And from the specifics he was giving me, I realized he, he had, you know, stopped reading at about page 10. So I, you have to be polite, right? It's a game you play. because that's, that's, that that that, that's the part I don't have so much is the politeness. And that's why I haven't gotten far. I can't be polite <laughs> in these situations. <laughs> Yeah, well, I wanted this one made so badly, but yeah. he ultimately said, you got to soften it. And uh, and I still pushed back. And if this was in the player, do you remember the Robert? Altman oh, movie? yeah. 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 If this was in the player, like the executives would make you take it, the scene out. He 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 in the middle of me, like gently pushing back. He goes, oh, crap. I've just been rear ended. And he hung up. <laughs> and. I, I didn't hear a sound effect. I didn't hear metal yeah. on metal. I heard nothing. Um, anyway, he calls the director uh, and said, uh, this guy, Ruben, is just absolute impossible to work with. And, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> and, 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 um, and you just got another offer on this really great movie with an ex-celebrity in it. And, uh, and so... That was the first place I had taken the movie, uh, the yeah. screenplay. So I, I called my agent and said, uh, don't send it out anywhere else. Uh, I'm going to write it as a novel. It just like it was like a epiphany. It was like a bolt yeah. from. Uh, uh, so I said, oh, I'm going to write it as a novel. He tried to talk me out of it. And I said, I don't care. I, I've, I've um, you know, I'm at the tail end of my career anyway. Uh, so I'm secure. Um, and. I want to write this as a novel and that way no one's going to change it. I'll be responsible for every damn word in there and, uh, and it'll be honest. And, yes. and so that, that was the genesis of me writing it as a novel. Isn't it great? I, that's what I, that's what I love. And, you know, I mean, lo I love both mediums. I'm a huge fan of film TV. Well, all, all visual and books, but there's something about the author of a novel that, we live or die by it. Um, it's it's on us if it's awful. It's on us if it's great. And when it's when it's made into a movie, that's hundreds of people on the production where the you know things can things can go wrong or things can go way better. But but it's but it's not. Um, and everyone tries to absolve themselves of responsibility if it's wrong, right? Uh, but right. but the lovely thing about books is we 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 live or die by them. It's so much fun. Yeah, in a movie, everybody tries to put their imprimatur on it, uh, a director, their style, or, uh, or oh, let's improvise this scene, you know, and you've worked, yeah. you know, like forever on the scene and uh, to have it just right rhythmically and all that to the, and faithful to the characters and, uh, and not, and you're setting up something that happens on page 82. Right, right. In the moment, they're going, yeah, let's, uh, let's improvise it. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Of course, there's, uh, it's never really yours. And I've been on the other side of that, where I where I also made a good, pretty good living doing production rewrites, movies that just needed one more pass before they started shooting. And, and uh, I would 
you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a job uh, on a number of those, uh, you know, mainstream regular movies and, and uh, your name's not on them, but you're changing someone's work. And uh, because an actor doesn't like one scene or whatever. And, and, and so here, this was all mine and uh, for better or worse. Uh, um, uh, so it took, it was an interesting transition. Uh, I had never really thought of being a novelist at all. Uh, it just it just wasn't in my consciousness. I, I had been so many things in my life, a rock and roll musician, uh, baseball pitcher. Uh, really? Anyway. Wait, wait, uh, yeah. wait, wait, who did you, what did you, did you pitch in college or is, what, what was yeah, it? High school and college, yeah. Really? And, wait, and were you planning semi, on? Semi-pro semi after that. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, I'm left-handed, left-handed, and uh, so really the first one or two times someone sees a lefty uh, who has a, not a trick pitch, but a good pitch, uh, the, the pitcher always has an advantage. Uh, uh -huh. I, I certainly wasn't good enough to go on and, and didn't harbor any illusions, but I just loved doing it. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. Baseball yeah. Fa fascinates me. I'm horrible at it. I've never played, but I follow it, and I just I find it so intriguing. I saw a picture of you wearing a giant cap. Um, so I'm from San Francisco. Could, yeah. Yeah. I thought this could be an awkward conversation. Uh, oh, I'm wait, from, wait. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn. And oh, yeah. Our, da our dad moved us out here. He was a actor, singer, and uh -huh. ultimately became an independent film director uh, way out of the mainstream. But he moved us out here. I'm dating myself now. The same year the Dodgers did. I was oh, eight wow. years old. Yeah. And and he always said, all, all, till he died, yeah, we moved out here because the uh, Dodgers moved out. We moved out in spring training of 1958. Wow. And, and so, uh, um, yeah, we're two and a half games in back of the Giants as we speak. And, I know. Uh, yeah. Go Giants. And, and, <laughs> yeah. 37 to go. And right. nice, suspect we'll catch you. But uh, we've had such bad luck with injuries. But yeah, it's uh, I've grown uh, grown a little more sanguine. I used to hate hate giants, hate giant fans. I I, I took my kid up to the park uh, a number of years ago and uh, only had a little bit of beer and popcorn thrown at us. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, I, I you know it's like I love I, I'm from San Francisco and I love the Giants, but you know what? I kind of don't like I don't like a lot of Giants fans either, and it's it there's a there's like, I guess because there were so many bandwagon fans when the World Series decade right. was just, you know, I know it, we were never supposed to win the World Series. What? How does that happen? And that was like, I just, that was such a 2010 was just, well, maybe life is okay. It was like a little, like yeah. all my existential worries went away when it's like, wait, we just won the World Series. And then, and it's like, and also then I got to talk to my therapist and go, why am I putting my existential crisis on a baseball team? But I think it's, it's good for us to do that sometimes. Oh, oh I've done that. It's a secular, secular religion to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love, I love the game. And uh, I, I used to just reflexively hate uh, giants and giant fans. And I, I still remember... have a problem that we see. I live in LA now and I still have, I still cringe when I see a, a Dodgers billboard. And I forget that <laughs> I mean, I, I'm yeah. like, why? Is, oh, wait, I live in L.A. <laughs> I remember Marshall hitting Johnny Roseboro with the bat 
uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to hate the Giants, but uh, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm a little more sanguine now. We'll either win it or we won't, and life will yeah. go on. Um, well, this year I'm I, really I, excited because we are not supposed to do anything this year. This was the this was the team rebuilding year. Just just suck it up, Giants. You know, and all of a sudden it's just like, why are we winning? How is this happening? So. Yeah, what happened to uh, uh, the, the shortstop? What's his name? The guy with the long hair. Uh, Crawford. Crawford. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this guy's made a deal with the devil for the last two, three years. He's absolutely sucked. And yeah. uh, and now, uh, you know, he's not going to be the MVP, but he's in the conversation. Oh, and, it's, it's and, and he's good looking. I look every time he comes up to, every time he comes up to bat and they show a close-up of him, I'm like, Oh, he's gorgeous. I'm 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 a heterosexual fella, but wow, Brandon Crawford is just a gorgeous dude. He looks like a hell's angel, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe maybe in my parallel gay life, I'm into bikers. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if we don't win, my world won't end. And uh, right. I, I used to, I used to be like, ah, you know, but uh, I mean. I've been around long enough to have lived through every Dodger championship and, and, and most people haven't. And uh, right. so uh, I'm okay. We'll either run it or we won't. My life will go on. Yeah. But uh, they, I love, I love that the giants and Dodgers both left New York at the same time. Right. Didn't they leave at the same yeah. time? Yeah. yeah. It, uh, O'Malley uh, talked uh, Horace Stoneham, who was the owner of the giants in the, in the coming out and uh, for a while, they were like negotiating who gets what city. Right. So it could, it could have been the opposite. I could have grown up a giant fan. Isn't it weird I, it, that the decision yeah. was made by one or is it one or two people? And that decision would have made us wear orange or blue or uh, the opposite way. It yeah. just these these are the gods that make these decisions. And then it trickles down to us. And we're passionate about it. <laughs> I listened to your podcast with Joe DePrisco and uh, amazing guy and amazing writer. Mm -hmm. And he's from Brooklyn, was raised a Brooklyn Dodger fan. And he came out uh, a couple of years after the Dodgers moved out. So there is a lot of bitterness, residual bitterness in Brooklyn to this day. There are on Facebook, there are, there are like uh, groups, uh, Brooklyn Dodger groups that, if uh, people say anything about the LA Dodgers, they're banned. Uh, a friend of mine had a posed uh, posed with a picture with Sandy Koufax, a photograph a few years ago. Sandy Koufax obviously was wearing an LA Dodger hat, and the guy got banned because it wasn't Koufax. I lost you for a second. Right on the right on the Dodgers talk. How did that happen? All right. I wonder if it's my internet connection. It usually is. And this is the part where we sing because we tape live. You're frozen. There yeah. we go. Okay. Are we back? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Back. So, yeah. so yeah. you froze. I know. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, Joe, uh, his parents have moved him to, uh, to the Bay Area. So he's a diehard uh, San Francisco Giant fan. He, out of the blue, I got an email from uh, the publicist and, and um, Joe had written a blurb for the book and 
and it was the best one ever. Uh, in the, not in a sense that it was praiseworthy, but he really understood the essence of what of what the book was about. A lot of the really good blurbs, and I'm grateful I got them, were 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 they took the surface of what the book was about and complimented that. And that's fine. But yeah. Joe Joe what he's a, what a penetrating incisive mind he really got what the end was about and uh and uh and put it in the blurb and so i wrote him i got his email i wrote him a thank you note and uh and we've become uh kind of uh i don't know post covid we're not post covid yet by any means but uh we've become uh, email pals and uh and uh, we do uh, slight digs at each other about the pennant race. And uh, uh -huh. he's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was so happy to hear him on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I, he was so much fun. I can't, it's like, I think we, I think we even talked during pandemic. So I still got to get to the Bay area. I haven't been back to San Francisco since the pandemic began. I got to go see my peoples and my family up there. And it's, I got to get a cup of coffee with him too, because. Yeah, I haven't been out of this room. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, I mean, yeah. In, in the inner room, I got a granddaughter. Uh, I finally saw her about three weeks ago. She was wow. born in she was born in Albany, New York. My uh -huh. son was working there, and and finally they came out uh, when it was safer to travel, and so I finally saw her. And was that your first granddaughter? You know, first granddaughter. So yeah. you had to I wait to see her. That that must have yeah, drove Yeah, I had to wait until she was eleven months old to see her. Wow. I saw her on video, of course, but uh, yeah. but not uh, but not in person. Yeah, yeah. So did you it, see it, your it, resemblance? Did you did you did, was your were you were you in her eyes? They say so, but I don't see it. Really, I don't see it. I, she very much looks like her mother, huh. and which is fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my son looks a little bit like me yeah um, yeah handsome and Except, good looking uh, yeah well he's handsome and stronger and all that but he's younger yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so i guess uh the weird transition for me uh in writing a novel just to pick up that thread yeah was as a, a you're a screenwriter so you know this very well uh you 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 basically a good screenplay is has to be at the baseline is is what the camera sees it's what the sound can hear so you write great dialogue you write an interesting story but you can't go in people's heads you have yeah. to show you have to show it or hear it and so i'm thinking a novel liberation finally after all these years liber i'm liberated yeah. And, uh, and I did a first draft or most of a first draft because this was turning into war and peace. And <laughs> then I had, I, had, I had to put it aside to have an operation, uh -huh. uh, life imitating art. Yeah, and, you're just, uh, and did you, and I mean, operations are scary. I had one uh, during COVID myself and um, it's, it, it was not fun in any way at all. But at some point, but if you're writing about it and you go in, does some part of you go, okay, that, you know what? I need to research a little more. I'm glad this is happening while you're on the gurney and you're just praying for the um, anesthesia to go in so you can just wake up. <laughs> yeah, I was really good at, uh, at, uh, I had a doctor, a friend of mine who's a writer, read that, read it, you know, vet it, uh, 
I mean, artistic for artistic reasons, but also for medical reasons. And and I really, you know, used my experiences. And uh, then once I was unconscious, I had to watch a lot of YouTube videos of the surgeries, surgeries, and uh, hear some stories he told me. And um, he said, I really got the life, uh, which was kind of cool. But going back to the novel, after I got out of the surgery and uh, got semi-coherent again, I looked at it and went, wow, this is really self-indulgent crap. Uh, you know, I was finally free to, to, uh, to, to, you know, get inside people's heads. And I'm going, I'm going all postmodern and metafiction. And I go, no, just, just tell the damn story. So uh, well, I, I, I you have it some, all up. You and, make a great point, though, because I think self-indulgent crap is a great first draft. I think we do have to go. I don't know if uh, for me, I got to go. So self-indulgent crap for a while and then realize, oh, wait, this is self-indulgent crap. And then start to piece out the story. I think it's a good part of the process. Ah, it, it was for me because it made me realize, uh, yeah, I have to bring the same kind of discipline. I always had uh, writing screenplays or teleplays to this. And, and uh, it helped. And so going off on that uh, self-indulgent tangent was really helpful to me. Ultimately, yeah. you're yeah. right. And so you, so you had a doctor vet it. And so did you call that agent and go, hey, I know your brother's a doctor, but I had a doctor vet the novel and you're wrong. <laughs> nah, I just want him to, you know, be be um, checking out Amazon one day and uh, and run across it and uh, and see five stars and see good reviews. Yeah. And what was and, his name and, again? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I, although I narrowed it down to gender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you did. I noticed that. <laughs> what color were his eyes again? You were saying. Uh, Pardon me. What color were his eyes again? You were saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm being yeah, silly. Just, Don't it, answer. It was just those. a. It was just a car fake car crash on a phone. Um, but yeah. what you know? But there's. There's beauty in when someone like that, when you're sitting there trying to go over a story and it's a situation like that and you then, and it's so frustrating and you go, wait a second, this is not, I got to write the novel. There's beauty in the absurdity of, of that, where you have a novel out of it now. If, if, yeah. if everything would have went through and went fine, you might've had a, you might've had a good film. You might've had a decent film. It might still be in development hell, but with that, but what you, you pulled out of it and said, no, we're going novel. This story's getting out there. I don't care. I don't care if it's not on screen yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be a dying, the irony of all ironies is to get is eventually get a film offer on it. But uh, yeah, that, I'm not I'm not looking for that. But what it, what writing the novel did do to me is uh, going. I'm going to do another one, yeah. and uh, I've outlined it, and uh, it's. Uh, actually the story of my parents. Um, really? And my dad was a combat medic in uh, Patton's army in World War II. Wow. He liberated uh, Buchenwald and spent some months there uh, uh, doing blood transfusions to the survivors. And my mom, she's from Belgium. She They're both, Pat, have both a past now. Uh, and she was in five camps. And wow. uh, the last one being, well, the second to last one being Auschwitz. And she survived the death march out of there. 
and uh, was liberated uh, at Bergen Belsen. So I want I'm, I'm going to write their story and uh, really put on a totally different hat because uh, I guess the the conflict there will be, hey, you're writing about your parents. Don't be too respectful, you know. <laughs> don't be hege- don't be hagiographic, you know. Be make it make it make it fun. Make it not fun. The Holocaust is not fun, but make it uh, make it make it make it a good story, and uh, you know, and and give your characters flaws. And and so uh, so yeah, I'm 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 done with the silver screen. Congratulations. Welcome to the dark side, my friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm mean, making money doing this, but that's okay. <laughs> I know, exactly. I was, um, when I talk to my students, I'm, uh, you know, in their writing, even in the screenwriting, I'm like, you're making the worst decision you can ever make in your life. There's no guarantee on anything here. You should probably get a different job. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just like, but if you're crazy like us, and I mean, and you just, and the story, I mean, for me, stories are just vibrating out of, out of me. Where if I'm not writing them down, I'm a I'm a crappy person. So in order for me not to be a crappy person, I have to write. That's kind of the end of it. Yeah, well, that was the deciding factor for me uh, to give up music and and stop playing baseball and uh, and write. Um, I would uh, in the day tar roofs and paint houses, paint apartment buildings. At night, I play piano in bars and oh, cool. back up. Uh, there's a, I wonder if Michelli's is still around. It's an Italian pizza place uh, in Hollywood. I, it was on Las Palmas, I think. Mm-hmm. And I would play piano there, backing up the singing uh, waiters and waitresses uh, who would sing opera. Oh, how and, cool is that? Uh, which, wow. is, which was way different than rock and roll, but uh, you know, I could, I, I could read music. And so it was great. Uh, but then, but by in every other spare moment, I would write, I would yeah. write, do nothing but write. And uh, in those days, uh, everything came by letter. And I painted, I guess, because I was a hippie, I had painted the bathroom purple and green. And every um, rejection letter, I just taped up there till I covered like one wall and a half. I think I had at least 50 rejection letters until I uh, sold my first thing. And uh, I was 22, but uh, I was doing it a long time. And, and, and it was great to just like take those rejection letters, throw them in a trash can and burn them. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the, the, the cool rituals we have regarding because rejection is more, there's more rejection than not, which is also why I love baseball because if you're doing a three out of 10, you're an all-star. You know, essentially, and that's that's the excitement of that. What um, what your dad was in independent film when he came to LA? Yeah, he was uh, a singer and an actor. He was in a Broadway show in when I was three years old with Phil Silvers, the comic uh, called Top Banana, and um, then then Hollywood brought him out to be. Gave him a screen test, wanted him, gonna gave him a nose job, was gonna make him a movie star. Oh, really? And, he got a nose uh, job? Yeah, well, they, they gave him one. Wow. And uh, I didn't know what was wrong with his nose. I've seen right. pictures of him pre pre-nose job. And yeah, he, he looked the same, he looks the same. Huh. And uh anyway, but then uh, his political life caught up with him and uh 
he was caught on the periphery of the blacklist and just wasn't hired. Oh, and interesting. What was the what, yeah. what, what was the political problem with that they were tripping on? Well, I mean, they they thought he was a communist and oh, okay. um, probably was, but yeah, uh, yeah he yeah. you know who knows? But he, he he gave you know he obviously gave that up. Uh, I think all communists in around the fifties uh, when were quite disillusioned by Stalin and gave it up after that yeah, after sure. that point, and and so. Co- Concurrently, he had uh, about five inner ear operations. He kept having these bouts of vertigo. One time, he even crashed through a plate glass window, and there was just blood everywhere. I thought was that, that was through the end. was that from the war? Was that maybe a, a war wound? No, it was just an inner. It was an inner ear issue, uh, and uh, so that kept him. That so that stopped any performance uh, goals he had, and uh, but he still wanted to. Uh, be in show business so he basically taught himself how to direct taught himself how to write taught himself how to edit would mortgage the house to pay for these extremely low budget movies and some of them have become cult classics uh and he hated those i dismember mama ape and uh but he he would make those to make enough money to do the ones that were close to his heart he did one called going to chicago with Cleavon Little, and that uh, was about the Chicago uh, Democratic Convention in Chicago in 68, and uh, it was quite political, and uh, and that won the inaugural Best of the Fest Award at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, but it didn't make a nickel, but he did those other movies to make those, and my sister Mimi, who's uh, a prominent director, uh, she directed... Uh, this last year on the basis of sex, excuse me, on the basis of sex, the Ruth Ginsburg movie, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. She's directed Deep Impact, uh, uh, Peacemaker for DreamWorks. Uh, she's got Emmys for ER oh, and wow. uh, China Beach, and she's still working. She's uh, uh, directing as executive producer of the Morning Show, an Apple TV series with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And so, so can you, can you pitch your sister? Can you go, Hey, look, here's the book. Are you going to take me through to get this on the screen? Is it, how do you do that when your sister's big time famous and, uh, and working? (laughs) She loves the book and, um, and I want to stay out of it, but I think she gave it to her agents and, uh, I'm just treating it as a book and, uh, whatever happens there will happen or not happen. Um, but she thinks it should be a, uh, a limited series, which uh, struck cool. me as odd. But uh, when, when you read the book, um, you know, you, you tell me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, actually, there's so much I cut out. I cut out a couple of subplots to make this manageable. Uh, so I guess it could be. Well, the, and that's um, it. I, when you were talking about the book about your parents, what what I find what, what I find in what I find in uh, writing about real life is how much I have to pull back on the tragedy of things because it's because truth is so absurd, and it's yeah. it's it's so absurd that we got to pull back on the tragedy and let the characters work through just a couple of tragedies. So it's like so it's digestible to the audience and to the reader because you throw all the tragedy in there and they're like, how can this happen to one person? But it does, you know, but it's just truly, I, yeah. I, I, I left out so much, but yeah. 
I was inspired. One of the inspirations of how to pull this off was uh, there was a Vincent Price movie called Theater of Blood sometime in the 60s. And Diana Rigg was in it from the Avengers, but he played a really hammy Shakespearean actor, which for Vincent Price wasn't a stretch. And, and uh, so there was these seven, eight critics who really gave him horrible reviews. So with the help of Diana Rigg, who was a street theater performer, and uh, she lived with a bunch of other ones on the streets, uh, they killed uh, all these critics using scenes from Shakespeare. And it's just, just a wonderful, campy, beautiful movie. And so I thought, okay, okay, uh, that's, that's a way of getting back at some of these doctors and insurance, uh, <laughs> these insurance snakes. And, uh, yeah. and but, but I wanted my, my characters to be ethical and moral people. So I didn't want to, I, didn't, I couldn't have them be murderers. So uh, the challenge for me was making this so absurd that, the people who deserve to die and based on people in real life, I do get to kill them. And there is a great satisfaction in killing them, but they kill themselves essentially either trying to protect their, protect themselves from being exposed to criminality or to uh, grab a piece of evidence that will incriminate them and ruin their careers. It's their own avarice and greed that, puts them in situations where they essentially kill themselves in, in all sorts of, uh, dare I say, creative ways and uh, really disgusting in some cases, bloody ways and uh, gory ways, uh, but uh, quite plausible. But so Theater of Blood was my the inspiration for that. And you might feel a little prick because uh, uh, it's a revenge fantasy, but I couldn't have... Uh, I couldn't have my characters be killers. So uh, that was the, that was the tough part. And that was the fun part also. There's all, and that, and what's, what always intrigues me is if I'm writing about, I love to start with anger and like, I'm pissed off at a person and that person's making it into my story. So then I'll start writing it and then I'll start to develop empathy for the character. Cause I got to make them three dimensional. And I'm like, wait a second. No, like my hate's going away. I want to stay on my hate. You know, that's what uh, Joe DePrisco said in your podcast. He said, I need to be angry to write. And, yeah. uh, I, I, and I immediately got it. I, I probably before I wrote this novel, I never would have, uh, I would have been going, what's he talking about? But I totally got it. I totally got it. Uh, that's a place I came from as well. In this. Yeah. And yeah, that, and absolutely. it does sound, it, it's, it shifts the narrative a little bit because it, then we got to be, then we have to have gratitude for the crap that happened to us because look at the beautiful art we make. It, this still yeah. blows my mind to no end. And it, it's something that I still can't grasp is we have our, we have, we can have major tragedies in our life. And if we write them, if we craft them, if they come out and other people connect and then they go, oh, hey, you're a writer. And it's just like, what if I didn't have those tragedies? You may have never seen a piece of my work. And now I got to be now I got to be grateful for this crap that happened to me. Yeah, this piece of work never would have existed without those tragedies. Yeah. And um, at least uh, I'm a writer and I had the outlet. Uh, other people will just get on a tower and start killing people. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, fortunately, uh, I'm limited to a keyboard. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite singers many years ago, they uh, asked him why uh, 
they're like why why do why do so many people die in your songs and he's like so i don't have to kill them in real life and i'm like that's it right there that's exactly it it's exactly yeah. it <laughs> well anyway so um Picking up this thread, uh, my sister yeah. Mimi and I, and then later Geraldine, uh, we have a second sister who's, uh, she came late, so she's uh, a little younger than us. And uh, was, she, was she an accident or was she planned? Uh, my mom, it was a surprise to my mom, but my okay. dad sure planned it. He told her, he oh. told my mom it was impossible for her to be pregnant. And, uh, and but he wanted another, he wanted another kid. Uh, <laughs> and so, we won't get into details, but got it. <laughs> yeah. So she, 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 she would, as a, as a young, early teenager, uh, while he was out shooting and we were out working on those things and working, Mimi worked on camera and uh, wound up being accepted to AFI as uh, the first uh, woman cinematography fellow. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's a tangent. But back to Geraldine, she would, while we were out, while we're out shooting, my dad would make all the marks where he wanted the cuts. So she learned to edit and uh, she would do the cutting. She would assemble the dailies. And uh, she went on uh, to become a casting director uh, she won Emmys for Arrested Development. Uh, wow. She's um, she's still working. She's a senior VP of uh, at Paramount Studios of casting. So uh, yeah, casting so directors those... make the casting directors make the movie. I, I've really yeah. learned over the years that you, the, it, casting is everything. Yeah. So the three of us, we didn't have any entree in, into show business. Our dad was out of the mainstream. In fact, he used to joke once we had made it that we all sold out. And, <laughs> but but uh, I'm sure he was he, proud at the same time. But yeah, he most definitely was. And uh, yeah, 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 he most definitely was proud. Uh, but um, yeah, he said we were a bunch of sellouts. But uh, if it weren't for working on those movies, uh, you know, our, I could have been an English teacher or uh, failed minor leaguer or still be playing piano and holiday ends and stuff, you know? So uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience, but also that gave me the discipline uh, working on, on, on these movies that had uh, minute budgets, uh, ultra low budgets. And so when I first got my big break at universal, which was on the last season of the incredible Hulk, um, I knew how to write for production and most writers don't and uh, especially in the beginning. And so I knew you can't write uh, a line like uh, the Mongol sack the village, you know, that could take six, six months to film or six hours. So right. uh, you, have, you have to have some specificity there. So, yeah. So uh, they, they realized I knew production. And so I rapidly got promoted. Then when Matt, then when the Hulk ended, they just slid me over to Magnum. Uh, PI and, uh, and you were and, writing for Magnum PI was were the writers in Los Angeles or were you in Hawaii? I wound up um, becoming head writer. And so I would go back. We always had one writer in Hawaii to be on the set to deal with any kind of uh, issues. But I would spend most of my time in Hawaii. I'd come back, develop a bunch of scripts. Uh, back then, there was a thing called freelance writers. They, they don't exist anymore. And, but we like to use freelance writers and, uh, and, you know, you'd rewrite them and uh, 
one thing we never did was, uh, I never did was certainly was arbitrate anybody because you're stealing someone's residual. You're well paid, uh, you're well paid as it is. And uh, so I would come back, I would uh, develop more scripts. I would uh, supervise some, some editing cuts and uh, I would uh, do some post-production uh, sound mixing, uh, you know, uh, doing the mixes where the sound effects picture, everything comes together. And then I fly back to Hawaii. So I spend about 75, 80% of my time in Hawaii and back in LA. But I, I loved Hawaii. I listened to a, a, a podcast you did with Tess Gerritsen. Yeah. And, and Can you believe she, she moved from Hawaii to Maine? Yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> what an idiot. Uh, I mean, I don't mean that personally. I mean, but... I, you know, I guess you got rock fever. It's a syndrome, yeah. but uh, I was six years there. I never got rock fever, maybe because I had the outlet of going back and forth, yeah. but I, I, I loved Hawaii. I, I, I made lasting friendships there. Um, there was, um, do you remember Hogan's Heroes? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the African- Based on Stalag Af 17, which is, I love exactly. that movie. Yeah. yeah, William Holden. Yeah. So the- the African-American actor, Ivan Dixon, uh, became uh, ultimately in the, by the 80s had become a TV director and he, he directed quite a few magnums and we oh. became really, really good friends. Uh -huh. And uh, this is about this is about the joys of Hawaii. And one thing about Ivan was on Fridays, he made sure we wrapped early. Uh, and you know, typically on Friday you can shoot all the night stuff and uh, and, and torture the crew, but he would wrap uh, before sundown. So one Friday afternoon, uh, the crew loved him for that. One Friday afternoon, we're standing on the beach uh, by Diamond Head, and uh, we're and we're watching the sunset. And, and every night, every day was different. The sun, and, and they were all beautiful. And and. So there's a lot of people on the beach, people are playing volleyball. And, uh, and he said, so Ruben, um, what do you see? And I said, people on the beach, uh, sun setting, let's get a drink, Ivan. And he said, no, 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 look, what, what do you see? And I didn't have a good answer, I, I, you know, other than the literal thing I was seeing. And he said, no, what you're seeing is everybody here is some, some shade of brown. There's yellow brown, there's light brown, there's darker brown, but th this is the future of the world. In a few generations, the this is the rest of the world will look like this, or you know, after we're gone. And um, he's probably right. He said, "So I'm going to retire here," and he was nearing the age of retirement, uh -huh. and he did. He moved to Maui, opened a radio station. I used to visit oh, really? him every year uh, after that. Go, I'd, I'd 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 fly to Maui every year and and hang out with Ivan for a few days. And uh, the kids at the radio station just loved him. It just idolized him. Um, he, he's passed away now, but uh, but yeah, I, I, working in Hawaii, you, you kind of, you certainly you appreciate it, but you're, but you're on a job and you're in the middle of the trenches and something's got to shoot Tuesday and it's not written yet and it's Friday night. And, and so, you know, there you're, you're not, always enjoying everything about the islands uh, because yeah, you're working. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but I loved it. And uh, I, 
that the guy, uh, these two brothers used to babysit me in, in New York when I was a little kid who uh, lived on the, in the apartment next door and their mom was my piano teacher. Uh, one of them lived there and was a, was a teacher at various universities in Hawaii, like uh, UH, Chaminade, City College, and, uh, and was active in, in local Hawaiian politics, uh, ecological stuff mostly. And, and, and turned me on to Hawaiian music. And uh, so I loved it. I, I just, you know, on the Kanali, on the Oli, I can't pronounce it anymore, Highway Hank's Place. And uh, seeing some groups like the Makaha Sons of Mihiao. Um, but so when I heard her go, yeah, so I got rock fever and we moved to Maine. Because <laughs> yeah, oh, there's a million writers in Maine. And I'm thinking, well, writers are generally boring, but uh, um, but why would you move to where it's so damn cold and then in the summer the mosquitoes are the size of birds? And, you know, so, but I gotta tell you, um, when I, Tess was, um, I, I was, she made a good, uh, she made a good argument for Maine. I was like sitting there going, I might have to try that. I just, it was it was intriguing to me after you know talking to her. I was kind of like, she made she made muddy March sound fantastic yeah <laughs> although i in, in this business it's taken me basically all around the world yeah. uh, i directed a movie that was large shot a large part of it was shot in the north sea in the middle of winter and you had to basically put a balaclava on your face because uh, the the ice things would just be like horizontal and they'd It'd be like needles just flying it and hitting you. And, uh, you know, where glasses is, you see, and uh, there's just go boom, 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 boom. And it was freezing. And I hate cold. And um, and I'm thinking, why would anyone voluntarily do that <laughs> and, and when you could be in Hawaii? Um, anyway, when, when you were uh, when you were working on Magnum P.I., was there was there an episode that where you put a lot of your own story in there and there, was there any like was there episodes where you're like oh that's the one that means everything to me certain scenes i would think yeah. uh certain characters certain guest stars uh guest characters uh i would do that um obviously i'm not tom Selleck, so uh <laughs> i you know we, we were friends and uh, but uh, we looked at the world differently. We had a lot of things in common like baseball and uh, and we got along great. And I really I think uh, being a musician that was really helpful because uh, I was a good, I was I had a good have a good ear. I can uh, I can hear stuff and play it. And that helped me, I think, write dialogue. It helped me write uh, his character. And uh, and he really appreciated that. Uh, but so that's not putting myself in the, in, into him. That's me absorbing him. It's me being a sponge and, and using any talents I had to uh, to to make it good. Uh, but uh, some stories, yeah, I would go. This is a story I've always wanted to tell, and I'll shoehorn it into uh, the Magnum universe. So I was able to do that occasionally, but not always. Yeah, I, I wrote them. Uh, I wrote. John Hillerman, who's also passed away. Uh, well, he Higgins, was a great right? Actor. He, that, he blazing, played Higgins? Blazing, yeah. yeah. He was Blazing Saddles. Yeah. He was the DWP guy in Chinatown. 
that's right. But uh, he's from Denison, Texas. Everybody always thought he was English. Uh-huh. And, oh, uh, but he's got—he's a good actor. That's why no one, everyone thought he was a wonderful English. actor. Yeah. I, I did a series in Berlin. I created, and uh, and he came and did it, and it was just wonderful. Wow. Uh, but um, I would write them as a married couple. And uh, having had uh, a lot of failed experience at that, uh, it was uh, that was that was fun. I wrote I, I just wrote them as a husband and wife. Uh, I never told Tom that he'd probably beat me up. But uh, <laughs> well, it, it makes but, a lot uh, of sense because even like because I, I I talk about this when I'm re- teaching screenwriting. If you're watching a buddy cop movie, um, they may have wives at home. But the romance yeah. is between the two cops. You write them as a couple. They are, you know, a, a couple that's not having sex. But they, they, you have to have that that high stakes conflict. And it makes so much sense when you say the character of Higgins and the character of uh, Magnum, what could be written as a couple because they were they essentially were a couple. They they uh, they completed each other, but they also antagonized each other, and that was the beauty of their relationship. Yeah, the bickering was on the surface, but uh, there there was a real bonding relationship there that neither one would ever admit to each other that was there. Uh, it had, they would open up to each other only in dire moments. There was one episode that was a two-parter that took them to Cambodia, and, they're, and they're, they were in life and death situations. So there were moments where the veil would uh, lift, and there, there'd be moments of honesty, but... Uh, Mostly, it was just uh, uh, a couple had been together too long, yeah. so it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was fun writing them. I love. Oh, it. I bet, I bet. I, um, and then when the series ended, I, it was. Um, you know, th- I, it's weird how things end, and they just end, and you walk away, and you're just like, "Oh wait, is that all there is for me?" You know, I want a big. I'm like, like when my when my book came, when my novel came out, I thought there was going to be a big parade down Market Street. No, there was nothing. It just, I had a book out. <laughs> hey, I bought it last night. I downloaded it. I read uh, 25, I have no idea what page count I'm on because it's on a Kindle, but I read 25% of it last night. Oh, wow. It kept me up. And uh, <laughs> I, I love Gabe's voice. Uh, oh, oh, thank God. you. Yeah. Sounds so, this sounds so sick of syncophantic, uh, but uh, uh, I did. Thank um, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and uh I guess uh, we could talk about this another time because we're probably running long. But uh, well, th- that's uh, better than the parade. If you if you're liking Jesus Jerk, then I did, I don't even need the parade when it came out. Yeah. You know, it's actually when uh, I'm being serious about that. It, I've realized when a person is touched by our work, and it, that just means everything. You know, a, a, a compliment of like it kept me up last night is the best yeah. thing you can hear about any. It's just like. Yeah. 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 Truly, truly. And I've gotten that a few times on this, but um, it, it just made me, and this is a subject, if we ever speak again, this is a subject I, I'm absolutely, how did you survive uh, the JW thing and, <laughs> and become who you are? That's, uh, that's got to be a fascinating story. I'm still um, working on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Surviving, I think. Uh, is, don't survive. Is, I, 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 yeah, I'm tolerant, but uh, <laughs> you know, I don't like any religions. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah, for me, it's a very slippery slope because it's just, it, I'm just, I'm still having epiphanies of, oh, wait, not everyone lived like that. You know, it's just, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, wait, 
this is humanity. <laughs> it's, it, it never goes away. Down, I should have put down religions because they all mean well. Their, their, their mission statements basically are great. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, love, peace, and uh, uh, in practice, though, uh, too many people die. Uh, and and that's, the yeah, the, there is, you know, and that's the part of it that's hard to grapple with is the good intentions of it. There's the good, there's yeah. the, like, the, like, if you look at the philosophy of Jesus, you know, a lot of that philosophy is pretty damn good, but then you, yeah. you twist it up in a religion and then all of a sudden it's a reason to kill other people. It's a reason to, you know, it's, I don't know how it gets there because it shouldn't get there, but boy, it gets there. Joe DePrisco takes it another way, though, which is was admirable. Right, because he's he's I, Catholic. I, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't understand it because I read I read his uh, I read uh, Subway to California, his memoir, the th the first memoir, yeah. and um, and and towards the end, he he discusses what Catholicism means to him and and yeah. how it and how it gives him gives his life meaning. I'm I'm not doing justice to how, how beautifully he wrote that. Yeah, and uh, but. He's the last guy that will start a holy war. Exactly. And, and, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and I do, you know, I do kind of look at the rituals of uh, Catholicism. I'm, I'm like, you know, those are some sexy looking rituals. Because I, from my point of view, though, as when growing up a Jehovah's Witness, Catholics are essentially Satan. So anyone that's not a Jehovah's Witness is Satan. So like even even a even a cross. I look at a cross and that's like demonism to me. So I think crosses are sexy. So it's, I have this very different worldview and I got a, I got a crucifix from uh, when my grandma died, a little necklace crucifix. And I'm, I love it. And I put it up and people think I'm Christian. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's pagan, man. That's pagan to me. Truly, I, I did a rewrite in a movie when Morgan Freeman and Antonio Banderas and, and uh, part of it was shot in Brooklyn and I'm looking at these Orthodox Jews uh, with uh, it's 95 degrees and they're wearing these long black coats. And, uh, and I know the, the women are segregated. They cannot, they cannot sit with the men in the synagogue. And, uh, and I'm thinking, man, what's the difference between these guys? They're out of the 11th century. It was like visiting a zoo. And um, and and uh, the Taliban, who's also in the 11th century. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it was, um, was eye-opening that uh, the influence religion still has on uh, so many people. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it still has it on me, but I'm at the other end of it where I'm just like, I'm tr still trying to shake it off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I got slime. I had nothing to shake off. I mean, my mom would always say, if there was a God, what my family wouldn't have been murdered and I, and I wouldn't be in this camp. And uh, uh, so, um, yeah, I was not raised as a formal atheist. My parents just were atheists. I remember my dad's mother, uh, my grandmother, uh, she took me to a, a, a synagogue once when I was seven, I think. And um, this is a bad movie too. Uh, they gave, I remember someone gave me an apple and there was a fucking war. I can't, can I swear? You just did. Uh, yeah. But there was, a, there was a worm in it. And I'm kidding, I, who sees worms in apples? I did. I never went back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it traumatized me. Uh, but uh, no, but for other reasons, I would, I would not go. But uh, yeah, it, it's. Um, yeah, I, I, the world could do without it, I think. 
How, how far are you along on um, the book about your parents? Because I, I can't wait to read that one too. Um, story's done. Okay. Um, I, I have character work to do. And yeah, uh, yeah uh, uh, so a year. Cool. A year. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, it, it, I, I, I think World War II just intrigues me so much because my grandpa was in Norway at the time. And, uh, and, it, and I know it really messed with his head and it really messed. And his, his wife killed herself in the 60s. And I don't know if the oh, war had no. part of if the war was part of that or not. But it's it's kind of important that we still that we still keep that we still keep that narrative alive of what really kind of happened, because it's 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 how it still affects us i think generations down we're still affected and shaken by that yeah yeah i have a friend who's a, a son of survivors and uh, he's a psychologist as well as a wine producer and uh and he thinks you inherit it uh one inherit it one inherits the trauma and it yeah. goes down a few generations uh yeah i have no idea but uh it, it it seems to make sense. Uh, yeah, I think my challenge will be, there's been so many Holocaust movies is not writing the same scenes that you see, but still uh, but still being truthful. Yeah. I know this thing, this really happened. Uh, my mom uh, in the train to Auschwitz uh, where they were packed like sardines, she befriended a Dutch uh, girl of her age. My mom was about 20. And... Uh, they got out finally. They were they basically were starved. Uh, babies died and were crushed in those trains. And they got out. And, and the Dutch girl said, let's go on those trucks. I'm so tired. I don't want to walk anymore. And my mom, six cents, whatever, she said, no, let's ask somebody. She went up to a German officer and said, where do we go? And he looked at it and he, it turned out the guy who decided her fate, and the reason I'm sitting here, his name was, that was Dr. Joseph Mengele, who the butcher did all those horrible experiments on, on people. And he said, you're young, your work, not the trucks, go that way. And that's, that's the reason she lived. Uh, wow. So, uh, so that'll be in there. Yeah. 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 That'll be intense. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I probably didn't do a very good job of promoting my own book. <laughs> uh... Well, that's what, you know what, I, I don't do a good job asking questions about the book. So I, I, you've listened to a couple of episodes, you know, you know, it meanders. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just, I, and it's yeah. been a pleasure having you on the show. I love meandering because you, I, 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 I wish we can do five episodes because I, I just want to pick your brain about so many other things. But yeah, I'll well, do that I'm in person. Around. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm around too. Yeah, I mean, if you ever any trouble booking somebody, just yeah, just call me, email <laughs> me, or you know, figure out how to get in touch. I'll be happy to do that. Yeah. Awesome, yeah, Ruben. It's, thank it's, you so it's, much it's for been coming. A pleasure on. for me. I was just frightened as hell to what before it started, but uh, this has been uh, this has been a really nice experience. <laughs> leader on drinks with tony check out his new book you might feel a little prick and next week on the show we have hilmer wolitzer and we'll discuss her latest novel and available man she's 91 i can't wait hey thanks for listening and i'll see you next week
You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. 